Hey guys, welcome back to Tap That Easy Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Walters. First of all, I want to give a huge shout out to my man, Chris Dodson. Chris is the one who does all the sound editing of these episodes and does a great job at it. Around episode 40, Chris joined in on this, this adventure and immediately made the sound quality much better than what I was doing. Uh, Chris has actually stepped in as a co-host. Um, he's hosted episodes on his own as well and just kills it with all that stuff love Chris just a great friend um, a lover of everything consumable just like me right <laughs> whether it's beer spirits wine uh, food whatever it is Chris and I are, are definitely on the same page with that so just a great guy uh, great teammate to have uh, throughout this whole thing and you'll notice in the last few episodes sound quality hasn't been that great that's because it's been me uh, fumbling around with <laughs> with that Chris has had some things going on so I uh, wasn't able to get the sound editing done for these episodes, so I apologize for the poor sound quality, but you'll notice starting in this episode, it goes right back up to that top level because Chris is the man. So Chris, thank you, buddy. Appreciate you. Chris is on Instagram at Chris Runoff. Chris, I'm sorry if you don't want that going out to everybody, but uh, give Chris a follow. Let him know what's up. Let him know how awesome he is. So let's get on to the episode. Wonderless Brewing Company in Flagstaff. Hang out with Nathan Friedman. Been a big fan of these guys ever since they opened. Belgian style ales. I love saisons, farmhouse ales, things like that. So these guys kill it. All right. So I sit down with Nathan. First time I've met him, and just a great dude. Really down to earth. Just very excited about what he does. So we hang out in the tap room. Tap room is great. Next time you're from Flagstaff, make sure you hit that up. Go outside. There's a little outside seating area. You can see the mountains. It's it's just just a great place. So let's tap into Wonderless Brewing Company. Yeah, I feel like, um, I don't know, when I started kind of getting really into craft beer, you know, everybody... It was kind of the era, I always say it's like the, the era of the generic, like, um, easy-to-drink craft beer, where it okay. was like every brewery had a pale ale, a stout, and a wheat beer. Uh, and it was yeah. like, th- those were like the staples. And maybe you did a porter instead of a stout or something like that, but yeah. it was like, you know, everybody had that. You had the New Belgiums doing, like, Sunshine Wheat, and, you know, ev- if you found a brew pub in a town, you know, a place like Beaver Street or something, it was like they had those staples um, and that kind of thing. And And it was this time where I feel like wheat beers were like supposed to be that transition beer for people. Uh, And they were like American wheat beers where they were just really light and kind of flavorless and supposed to just be kind of innocuous where it was easy to drink and (laughs) anybody could pick one up and be like, I'm going to throw an orange slice in this and we're going to call it a day (laughs) and here's your craft beer. And like, you know, and now that now we've got like, you know, whatever shock top and you know, all these, these big, uh, big companies that are that were making those styles of beer and and I think I at that point somewhere along the way I had like I don't know what it was it was probably like a behind Stefana or something like that and I was like holy shit like this is this is a wheat beer like this is not a wheat like yeah this is like you can taste the wheat it's got like that banana flavor the clove it's got some body to it like really drinkable and so I I love German wheat beers. Okay. Um, they are so good because it's like it. 
it brings out everything that is so unique about wheat malt and, and, you know, unmalted wheat and that flavor, that like graininess and that little bit of sweetness. Um, and so, you know, and I think Dunkelweizen's kind of take that to the next level. I mean, ours is, ours is fairly clove heavy versus really banana heavy. Um, so it's got some like nice dryness at the end, but it's that rich, like caramely flavor. And it's just, I don't know, it's such a good, like fall beer. I always tell people like, and, and it's not so much anymore, but Everybody does their pumpkin beers for the fall. Oh, yeah. Man, yeah. I'd, I'd have a Dunkelweizen yeah. 99 times <laughs> yeah, out of 100 like over that. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, then that's cool, too, because you're um, – because when people taste those, like especially somebody that drinks craft beer, if they drink a shock top, like you're like, what is this, right? Yeah. But you're like, dude, no, that's not what it really is. <laughs> exactly, let me, let me yeah. show you a real one, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, dude, that was a great introduction into this. So. <laughs> yeah, you get me spinning on these things. We haven't even done the introduction yeah. yet. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, well introduce yourself. I'm, I'm, well, I'll say this. I'm, I'm right off of Route 66 in Flagstaff at an awesome brewery. Love this place, dude. I love this place. I, can't, I don't come up as much as I should. When my in-laws live close, uh, we would come here quite often. But introduce yourself, please. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm Nathan Friedman. I'm the owner here at Wanderlust Brewing Company I'm up in Flagstaff. And we're... Uh, we're a little brewery, like you said, located right off of Route 66, um, and we are actually our address is Main Street, um, oh, is even it? though we're not downtown. Yep. Interesting. Um, there's a Main Street in Flagstaff. It is about a mile and yeah. a half east of downtown, <laughs> and we are on it. Um, so I always tell people that just just go to Main Street. Um, yeah. yeah, and we've uh, let's see, Wanderlust has been open six years now. We just had our wow. sixth anniversary nice. um, back in October. Um, yeah. That's that's kind of the, the gist. That's it. All right, wrap it up. There we go. Yeah, done. <laughs> done <yes>. Send it. <laughs> yeah. So, well, let's let's start with the name because I love the name. Like, I, I still have my hat, the black hat with the with the dude on it, and just yep. like, I just love the name. Like, so, what? Wh- where did you come up with that? Yeah. So, I guess I've I've always been a traveler. You okay. know, I I love seeing new places. I love going new places. Um, and really. You know, I feel like it's it's like somewhat of a stereotypical story for like craft beer and awakenings and whatever is that um I I discovered craft beer in college actually um which was pretty crazy and I went to a school in upstate New York where we had a pub on the top floor of the union this the school is called Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute it's an engineering school up there and uh, I had I grew up drinking wine more than beer and didn't really like beer and Went to the pub with a few friends, um, and it was actually a student-run pub. Super cool. It's on the top floor of the Union, so it, like, overlooked the Hudson River and everything. Nice. Um, and they had Guinness and Magic Hat Number no. 9 um, and Sam Adams on tap. Um, and so I tried all of those and was like, oh, man, beer has flavor. It's yeah. not like <laughs> this, you know, swaggy keg of Jenny Cream Ale that Jenny we got for Cream. 40 bucks. Like, I love that you brought that cooler. one up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I grew oh, that up in Ohio. That's, yeah, that, was that, was, <laughs> that was the cheap beer in college, yeah. and it was... I mean, I guess it was all right because it tasted just the same warm and flat as it did like cold and carbonated, (laughs) which was bad. I mean, it just wasn't good. And, you know, I was in a fraternity and there was like eternally a keg in the walk-in cooler in our fraternity. And it it, I guess it got replaced at some point, but people just go in there and like pour a disgusting beer off it. And anyway, so... You never saw it change. Yeah, exactly. It was just always full. I thought it could have been the same keg for the whole four years I was there. I don't know. I mean, I'm guessing it wasn't because there was a lot of beer drank out of it, but some, you know, mystical person at the fraternity would just go replace it, you know, collect everybody's pocket change and find 40 bucks and go get another one. So, um, but anyway, so I, you know, after college... I kind of 
got into beer and started understanding like that there was just all these awesome flavors and there was more than just this cheap, you know, yeah. yellow beer. And, uh, and then actually took a trip to Belgium. And that was kind of when my real like love of beer and especially of Belgium beers like yeah. came in. And I've, I went there cause I had a friend who was a coworker who ended up moving there for a couple of years. And so we went to, uh, he lived in Brussels and he lived, I don't know, five-minute walk from the Delirium Bar um, in Brussels. And so we spent, like, four days basically at the Delirium Bar, which is, you know, they have, like, 2,000 beers or something. They hold the Guinness World Record for most number of beers. And Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is that the one with the, is that with the, um, with the, the elephant the on it? The elephant, yeah. So Delirium yeah. Tremonds is the yes. beer that we see over here. But okay. Delirium, that's their beer, but it's actually a bar. Oh, and it's actually four bars wow. in Brussels. Um <laughs> Super cool. You basically like walk into this alley in downtown Brussels, like right off of the main square there. And there's on the left hand side, the upstairs is like their pub. The downstairs is what they call the beer cave, which is where they have this book that's like three inches thick that has all the beers they have um, available. Available? Yeah. Not like a history. It's it's over 2,000 beers. It's like 2,200 or something crazy like that. And you can literally just open that book to a random page and say, I want that one. And you walk up to the bar, tell them, I want this beer. And they say, like, of course. And then walk (laughs) into the back into who knows how big this room is, this walk-in cooler. And they'll come back with the beer and the glass that goes with it. Like each one has its own. Each one has its own glass. It was phenomenal. Um, So that was kind of like this awakening for me of, like, not only is there, like, decent beer in the U.S. that I am not drinking, but... There is this whole world of beer out there. Um, yeah. And so since, you know, that time and just because I love to travel, I mean, I've, I've drank beer all over Germany. I've been to Leipzig and drank at, you know, a couple of the traditional Gozen breweries. Um, I've, you know, been to New Zealand and drank beer there. Um, we drank a bunch of beer in like Nepal and Belize and, you know, all these yeah. places. Um, so now you're, when just, you go to these places, you drink beer and wine or, um, or do you mainly go to I don't drink now? wine so much anymore. Okay. So I... I grew up um, – so my, my mom has worked at a winery since I was in middle school. Okay. Um, and so, you know, we had wine at home. Yeah. Um, and they drink beer as well, but I just ne- was never really into it. And, you know, yeah. I guess I was underage at the time anyway. So. <laughs> um, can't complain too yeah, much. Yeah, exactly. Eh? Can't complain too much. But, I, you know, even in college, you know, we drank mixed drinks and cocktails and stuff instead of, you know, a bottle of Jack Daniels, yeah, I guess, instead yeah. of beer. <laughs> you know? um, so, so now I, I do drink wine and I appreciate it and I, I really enjoy wine. Um, but I also think that, you know, now that I've been in kind of the beer industry and the beer world and the brewing world for, for so long, um, I really feel that beer actually has a much greater range of flavors than wine. Yeah. I mean, I love the flavors in wine, but I would say a, a majority of like the people who drink wine, you give them a couple red wines that are, you know, okay, here's a dry red wine with a little yeah. bit of spice to it. They're not going to have any idea if it's a Merlot or a Cab Sav or wh- uh, whatever, yeah, you know, yeah. that, that, Makes sense. that discerning of flavors is not as easy with wine because the styles are much more similar. Whereas you give somebody, you know, a porter, a stout, a Dunkelweizen, a, you know, whatever, like a Belgian, you know, dark strong, they're all dark beers, right? but they are so different. It's, you know, A to Z and they go with different foods and they have different flavor profiles. And so I, I just find the, 
variety and depth of flavors of beer like much more interesting and intriguing yeah. um yeah. you know not not better or worse i mean i, I don't yeah. want to knock the wine i love wine yeah. but um that's kind of more my go-to now just because i love experiencing those those range of flavors yeah so. and there's a huge and, and i always tell i always tell people that say they don't like beer because since i've started doing this i've become obsessed with beer myself right so i consider myself like uh part of the group at this point right so um i always have people like oh yeah you know that's cool that you do that but i, I don't really like beer i'm like no you just haven't found the right exactly. beer. exactly yeah. everybody likes beer yes. they just haven't found the right one exactly yep yep, <laughs> yep. my buddy's uh father-in-law came in from new mexico and he's straight straight bud light that's yep. it that's all that's all he drinks so i took him down to helton and i'm like well dude i'm gonna get you the pilsner right mm -hmm. so he tasted the pilsner he's like nah, that's all right and then he tasted the lager he's like yeah and then he got the uh boysenberry sour and he's like whoa what is this i'm like yeah. i would have never guessed the sour <laughs> would be the way but we found that one for him right yeah. so yeah. now he always asks me about it. he's like dude are we gonna go get one of those Where else, who else has good sours i'm like yes yeah yeah uh it's that's, that's fun. funny because you know i i find that People approach kind of the the light beer drinkers, you know, the the American lager drinkers, yeah. in the wrong way. We uh, try and make them a beer that's similar to what they drink, yeah, but it's not the same as what they drink, and yeah. so they're not gonna like it, right? Right? You know, because it's yeah. not their Bud Light, right? You know, oh, yep. I'm gonna make you a light lager. It's gonna be a craft light lager, so it's gonna have more flavor and it's gonna have more body and it's gonna, you know, have a little more hops to it, and you're gonna love it. Yeah. No, they're not, yeah. because you just took their Bud Light and you bastardized it. Yeah, you made yeah. it into something that's similar, but it's not good. Good point. And yeah. so we actually find. That going the complete other direction and going with something that is dramatically different okay. from what they're used to drinking yeah. is actually a better approach because they're not expecting it to taste like what they usually drink. That's I mean, true. We actually convert a lot of, as crazy as this sounds, we convert a lot of people who come in here and they're in, their, in here with their friends or something like that or their families and they're like, oh, I'm just a light beer drinker. We'll give them a 928. This uh, is like an 8% beer, like yep. tastes nothing like anything you have ever had before. Yep. And they're like, oh, well, this is, this is totally different. I, I, I really like this. I never even knew that beer could taste like this. Is yeah. this beer? Is yeah. it, are you sure this is beer? <laughs> right. You're like, yeah, this is beer. Like this is, you, you just, you know, you can't give them something that they're expecting because they're not going to like it. That's and a good maybe point. Not, maybe that's not their one, but yeah. maybe they're a coffee drinker. Give them a stout, you yeah. know, maybe yep. they, maybe they like, you know, whatever those fizzy lemonade waters, you know, San Pellegrino yeah. or something. They drink that instead. So give them a, you know, something that's got some sourness to it, like a yeah. Goza or a, you know, whatever. And, and so, yep. I, I encourage my bartenders to not just ask people what they usually drink, yeah. but to try and understand like what other things, foods and drinks do um, they like? What flavors do what you like? What flavors do yeah, you like? Yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, that was something, and I, I think this term has kind of gone away some, but there was like this, you know, when craft beer was becoming more popular, there was this whole concept of like, oh, you're a beer snob because uh, you can talk about beer. Yeah. And I always tell people like, you're not a beer snob because you can talk about beer. You just have a much better chance of getting something you're going to like. Yeah. When yeah. you walk up to a bar and you walk, look at 30 taps and you've never heard of any of them and you can say, oh, I like, I like darker beers that are roasty and have that coffee flavor, but I'm not as big on the sweet ones and like yeah. something more chocolatey or something like that you have a better chance of getting a beer that you're going to enjoy because you know the flavors you like and then sure. it's the bartender's job to match up those flavors with something they have on the wall that's going to meet meet what you you might enjoy yeah so that's it's you point. know it, i always we always try and educate people at our bar you yeah. know i i want 
I don't want us to just serve somebody a beer. I want us to tell them about some of the flavors that are there, some of the history, some of the reasons why we made certain decisions about how those flavors work together. Yeah. Because it's just going to give them more firepower to find something they enjoy. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's not being a snob. It's just yeah. knowing what you like. That's, you know? true. That's true. <laughs> what adds to the experience too, yeah. right? Like when someone comes in here and they're like, yeah, I don't, I, you know, I'm not usually a crap beer person, but this person helped me really identify, you know, mm-hmm. not just like, what do you want? What do you usually drink? Okay, here, take this. You know, it, it creates us an experience for that person to, you know, um, I think it's awesome, man. I think yeah. it's awesome that, that you have the staff doing that as well, you know, to, yeah. to help that experience. Yep. Yeah. So how did you get to Flagstaff? So you said you went to school in New York, engineering mm-hmm. school, you said? Yep. Um, how, how did you get out here? It was mostly a job um, that brought me out here. So I, okay. I'm an engineer um, by training and by trade as well. Um, and I did an internship with uh, WL Gore and Associates, which is a company that makes Gore-Tex. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. And a whole host of other things as well, but that's kind yeah. of the one that everybody's heard of. Yeah. Um, and I worked for them out in Delaware during school. Okay. And they have a big facility out here, actually several facilities, um, where they make uh, medical products. So yeah. implantable stents and stent grafts and things like that. Um, okay. Some surgical products as well. And uh, I, I loved the company, um, still do. And really wanted to work for them, but um, wanted to go west. I, okay. I wanted, I had my eye on several kind of Flagstaff-esque towns, okay. you know, Flagstaff, Boulder, you know, Missoula, yeah. um, Bend, you know, all those kinds of places. Um, the typical, like, little outdoor mountain towns that yeah. are big enough to actually have a company in them right, <laughs> that right, you can yeah. work for. That's um, true. And good beer. There was a common, there was a yeah, common exactly. theme there, too. Yep, yeah. yep. Um, <laughs> and so... Uh, so that brought me out here 15 years ago, um, at this point, 14 years ago, I guess was, uh, full time and just love the town, love the people here. Um, and then got into homebrewing. Um, it's probably, let's see, I'm gonna have to do the math here. So we've been in business for six years. I think it was probably about four or five years, maybe four years after I moved to Flagstaff. I okay. had a friend at work who, um, who wanted to brew beer and so yeah. we went out and bought a homebrew kit yeah. from the um, homebrew shop here in town and uh and then started brewing beer um and dumped that first batch straight down the drain yeah it was horrendous <laughs> um, well yeah. that you know and i think that that i think that's an indicator on on uh certain brewers too right because some people are like ah, i just drank it i stomached it and yeah. drank it oh, uh, uh doc from um Saddle, or uh pedal house told me one time he's like don't be afraid to dump a beer. He's like, if you're not in, like, don't be yep. afraid to dump a beer. So yep. that, that's a big first step for you. Like, I'm not stomaching <laughs> oh, this. Oh, yeah, yeah, no way. I mean, they were like foamy bottles and yeah. the whole nine yards. I mean, it was horrendous. So, yeah, it was, um, you know, we went and bought that kit, and it was an Irish red um, from the homebrew shop and bought the kit and went to uh, went to brew it, like followed the directions, and we got the, like, you know, one sheet of paper that tells you how to brew beer. Oh, yeah. like, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, looking back on it, I'm like, can you really distill down like the entire process of it? And, yeah. and it was extract and all that stuff. But still, yeah. like, you know, to one sheet, one side of a piece of paper. Five bullet like, points. Yeah, probably, yeah. I mean, it was probably ten. Come yeah. on. But yeah, yeah. yeah, but it was ridiculous. And so, um, so we did that. And then I think after that, I was like, you know what? If we're doing this again, I am not – going to dump another batch and so i went and bought john palmer's book um how to brew okay and read it cover to cover before before you before we did our second batch yeah i built a mash ton before we did our second batch um 
went through the whole process and we brewed an all grain stout for the second batch we ever did. Wow. And it was delicious. And it's actually very similar to the recipe that we use to this day in our stout. Wow. Um, and I've got my, you know, I still have my notebook from all my home brewing days. It was like, you know, a moleskin notebook that's got, yeah. you know, 80 some pages of recipes in it that wow. we brewed over, you know, five, nice. six years, stuff like that before I started the brewery. So let me ask you this then. So, uh, if, if I'm right on this, so I, I think anybody who does something very well, um, and, and loves what they do, you have to enjoy the process, right? Mm-hmm. So in that first one, even though you dumped the beer, that second one of you building the mash tun kind of yeah. tells me a little bit of like, you love the process. Like, dude, we're going to do this. Oh, right? yeah. Even though this, the end result was not what we wanted. Let's, let's roll with this. Yep. And number two was, was a hit. Yeah. Yeah. It dude, was. That's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I, and I still do. I mean, I love the process. I mean, I'm, I'm an engineer at heart as well. Um, I, I love building things. I mean, I've built a lot of, I haven't like welded the stainless, but I've built a lot of the control systems and, you know, designed a lot of the things around the brewery. I've built, I built the whole, um, glycol system myself, you know, things like that. Just cause I want to, I like being hands on. I don't like just having to call somebody every time something breaks or we don't understand. And I, and I want to understand like, not just what we're doing, but why we're doing it. Um, and I think that's really fundamental to, being able to kind of pull off what we've done, which is being a production brewery with a three barrel brew house. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty, pretty crazy. I mean, we yeah. brew, Oh, what's the number? It's probably like 200 batches a year or something okay. like that. I mean, it's, it's a lot of batches um, for what you guys, for, for the what size. We do. Yeah. It's gotta yeah. be more than that. 200. Cause we do, yeah, it's probably closer, closer to 300 batches a year. Cause okay. we're going to do 800 some barrels this year wow. off a three barrel brew house. So Man. yeah, it's, but, but the reality of that is, you know, you come in and you drink a nine to eight and then you come in a week later or two weeks later, it's going to be a different batch of nine to eight. Hmm. Like it's did, not like, going to be the same one. Okay. And yeah. we have to make sure that that tastes the same. Oh, I see what you're close saying. Close enough yeah, that yeah. you're not going to question that this is the right beer. And the 928 yeah. is like probably the worst example because yeah. it uses like a wild yeast that can be a little finicky and okay. changes flavor a little bit. And also the, the honey that we get can be from various types of flowers and things like that. So it has some subtle differences batch to batch, but it still tastes generally the same. But yeah. the Dunkelweizen, something like that, I mean, yeah. it's, it's got to be the same beer when you come back, and it's yeah. going to be a different batch yeah. um, when you come in again unless you come in two days later. Yeah. Um, just because we go through so much beer, and we have to do it so quickly. Yeah. So we, we are really focused on consistency and quality and you know, making sure that we have our process dialed in because we, we can't afford to not have that um, yeah. with as much beer as we put out of this, this small of a, a space and this small of a brew house. Yeah. Well, and I think you guys, you, you nail it, right? Because any time I see 928 on tap somewhere, I'm getting it, dude. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting it. Uh, and that's one of the things I love about going to Flagstaff is, I mean, all, there's obviously great breweries, but um, pretty much all the bars have your beer on tap, too. Yeah. I went to Satchmo's last night. That, oh, yeah. that dude, that, that's like <laughs> my... have got two th- of them. <laughs> yeah, I know, yes. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. and I'm looking, she's like, oh, we got this. I'm like, 928. Like, yeah. I don't even... Done. Yeah, all the other ones are good. Nice work, yeah. but uh, let's go with the 928. And they do always taste the same. Mm-hmm. They, they do, which is impressive, too, to, to not only in your tap room from the taste the same, but for from the be on different accounts, you know, because yeah. you're putting... Your, the faith of your product in somebody else's hands, hoping that they're cleaning their lines, hoping that yeah. they're storing the kegs correctly. Well, and so that's actually a good point. Is we're, I think we're one of the largest um, self-distributing breweries in the state right now as oh, well. Oh, really? And, okay. and not saying, you know, I, I don't 
knock the distributors at all. They do a great job. But it means that our beer is incredibly fresh yeah. and that we personally are going out and cleaning all of the lines at every single one of our accounts on a schedule. Oh, nice. um, we're making sure that, that that beer tastes the same. We make sure that, that that system is working properly and everything. And it's it's a lot of work. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. We're, we're exhausted <laughs> around here. I mean, you saw before, before we jumped on on the podcast here, I was talking to our delivery driver, just going over, you know, some of the, the nuances of what's going on with today's orders and deliveries and things like that. But, yeah. you know, I, I really am very passionate about making sure that our beer is not just good when it leaves our door, but when yeah. it's, it's good when it gets to your glass, no matter where yeah. you are. Yeah. And that's a difficult thing to do. I mean, Arizona is a big place it and, is. you know, distributing all over the state is a tough thing to do. I mean, you, yeah. There's going to be times where you're drinking a beer that's, you know, a couple months old. Yeah. Um, and, yep. you know, and that's why I think we, not just us, but all the brewers in Arizona, you know, have a challenge because we, we're distributing across a very, very big state. Right. And a lot of times it takes a decent amount of time to get that beer to you. And so yeah. we need to make sure that our quality is very high so that that beer is, is shelf stable. So that yeah. when you pick up a bottle... Even if that, you know, bottled on date is a month, two months, three months ago, you know it's still going to be good beer because we made sure that everything going into that bottle was very, very precisely controlled. Yeah. Um, and this is, you know, there's a, the breweries in Arizona are doing a phenomenal job of that. There's some absolutely amazing breweries in Arizona. And absolutely. I think the, the, the camaraderie that we feel and the communication that we have between the breweries really helps kind of elevate that to, to a level where you can be pretty confident that you're getting a good beer um yeah. you know here in arizona i mean yeah there's always good ones and bad ones but at the same time like i feel like we have a we have a very high quality of beer coming out of the state because I agree. people are very focused on that and that's that's a great thing i'm glad we have that yeah so. for sure and well i mean since i've moved out here i think we've gone from so moved out, out here in 2007 mm-hmm. i feel like we've gone from like I feel like Michael uh, from Mother Road told me yesterday when they opened, there was like they were number nineteen. Now there's like a hundred and ten. Yeah, Jeez, like that's we were quick. we were a year later than them, um, almost to the day. I mean, it was like you know it's like eleven months or something like yeah. that later than them when we opened, and we were already I think number forty. Wow. Okay. So yeah. in that in that year across Arizona, you know about 20 breweries open and then it's been about that number for the last six years yeah it's been you know 15 to 20 breweries every year it's crazy Um, yeah 100 i think there was 120 something like 120 microbrewery licenses issued in the state right which would include like if one place has like three locations or like something Um, like sometimes um but it also uh it also includes a few that um aren't open yet because a lot of places are licensed before they open but you know ballpark i mean we're we're well over 100 breweries yeah for sure. so, yeah and yeah. great like you said great beer like people mm-hmm. are making some awesome beer out of this absolutely state. Yeah. yeah um so why did you choose the styles that you went with right because usually there's there's the staples right you've got the ipa and the stout <laughs> yeah. right yep. i mean those are those are the main ones <laughs> mm-hmm. uh in a powwow like you said a little different from from those early days with the replacement i think of the ipa with a wheat beer but mm-hmm. but why did you choose the the styles that you did to to make your flagships yeah, um, I think part of it is is you know you have to be differentiated um, sure. from other people, and so there there's an element of that. But part of it is also that I just felt like there was a gap in 
um, some certain styles of beer that were being brewed. And, and honestly, I, I still think there's that gap. I mean, there's, I agree. there's some phenomenal breweries out there that are making some really amazing traditional Belgian styles and some really traditional sours and things like that. Um, but there's very few breweries that kind of focus on that. Yeah. And so we, you know, for the first four years we were open, we didn't, we didn't brew an IPA. We okay. didn't have one. And yeah. the honest truth is if somebody came to me and said, I'm looking for an IPA, I'd say, great. Lumberyards has won gold at GABF <laughs> like three times. And yeah. Mother Road has this phenomenal tower station. Like, yeah. go have one of those. That's what I drink when I look for an IPA in this town. You know, they're, they're yeah. phenomenal beers. Um, but go over there and try and find a Trapel or try and find yeah. a traditional farmhouse or try and find a barrel fermented, you know, uh, Flanders red that's been aging for three years, like, yeah. or a German Dunkelweizen, you know, yeah. it's not going to happen. Right. That's, that's not the style of beer that they make. And so we really focused on, um, the styles we enjoy, but also these styles that I think don't get enough airtime because yeah. they're phenomenal styles of beer. Um, and everybody's just so crazy about, you know, IPAs right now that yeah. it's, it's a tough road to hoe for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and we actually finally, you know, I finally got tired of people telling us like, oh, you don't make an IPA because you can't. And so, oh, they were saying because, you oh can't. yeah, they're ah. like, well, you guys just can't make a good one and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you know what? Whatever. So <laughs> our first IPA that we ever brewed, um, is called Westbound Vagabond. And it's like a 9% double IPA, um, really heavily hopped with uh, Galaxy and Amarillo. Um, super, like, fruity, malty, like, English malt base. And it's, to be honest, like, now it's probably, like, a considered, like, a New England IPA. Because oh, it, it's, it's very, it's, it's a similar style to something like, a, you know, Heady Topper, Sip of Sunshine, or something okay. like that. Very yeah. fruity. Um, very well balanced with the bitterness, not overly bitter. It's not, yeah. not that West Coast IPA okay. of like the, the bracingly, you know, kind of bitterness arms race that the Stone, bomb, you know, yeah. kind of was in with Arrogant sure. Bastard and stuff like that for yep. a while. Um, but I, we were brewing that, I guess, before that term was kind of coined. I guess that yeah. was three years ago now. Um, and, that, that, and that took off, too. It, yeah, it yeah. took off. And yeah. so um, we, we now have an IPA on um, year round, but it's a rotating IPA. Okay. So we don't brew any of them for the full year. Um, they're all variations on the style. We don't brew a straight IPA. So we have, um, the, the first one we did was the Westbound Vagabond, which is a double IPA, the, um, Vermilion, which actually is going to be coming out in a week or two. Um, I'm not sure when this podcast will get posted, but um, by by the time this comes out, your Vermilion will be out. It will be out. Okay, perfect. Yep. Yep. So the Vermilion will be out. So the Vermilion is, um, uh, red IPA, um, nice. really nice and malty, caramely as well. Um, really heavy uh, sriracha ace and fuggle um, hops. So it's okay. it's kind of this English IPA, um, but a lot richer. Um, okay. And so that's our winter IPA. And then we do um, one called Alto Cumulus, uh, which is a white IPA. So it's a wheat based IPA that has coriander and orange peel in it as well. Um, and super heavy mosaic hops in it. So it's also okay. that kind of more fruity um, IPA. So those, those three rotate over the course of the year. They run for about four months apiece. Um, the Vermilion's our winter, Westbound Vagabond's the summer, and then uh, usually kind of end of winter. Spring, beginning of summer is when Alto Cumulus is out. So, nice. Okay. Yeah, so we do an IPA now, and it was, you know, it was a little bit of just kind of a screw you. We can brew yeah. a really good IPA, and they're phenomenal. I mean, and I do think different they'll hold ones. Up to, yeah, I think they'll hold up to any 
you know, yeah. anyone's IPA I'd put them up against for sure. What's um, on tap but, right now? Because I'm going to grab one more when we're done here. Yeah, I, so actually we are in between them right now, but uh, we have we had one that we did um, just as kind of a, a transition one that's a Belgian IPA while ooh. we were waiting for the Westbound Vagabond to okay. run out at some of our accounts. Um, so it's called Locket Meadow, which is the um, name yeah. of the inner basin um, meadow where the campground is up uh, on the peaks here. Is that um, is that so, like east of town? Yeah, so you, it's up on the peaks, um, okay. but you go out east of town and kind of hook back into the inner basin of the peaks, and yeah. Locket Meadow is the name of the campground and the meadow where that is that you can then hike up to the, the inner, inside of, I guess, the horseshoe of the, the San Francisco peaks. Okay, um, nice. That's kind of shape. I, it, my, so. I think my father-in-law took us, uh, me and uh, my wife and kids up there to go sled riding. Oh, yeah. big, wide open. Oh, area. yeah, it's huge, awesome. wide open, beautiful field. Yeah. Nobody there. Like, mm-hmm. that's, that's, yeah, because we would go to places where there's, like, so many people, like, down by the campus and stuff stuff and he's yep. like no he's like we'll go to lock it meadow and it's like the best oh it's great yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's like it's like backcountry sledding there <laughs> yeah it really is yeah, it's yeah. A, i'm like i hope nobody gets hurt because we're like a long way away from yeah. from help yeah <laughs> so nice. um you were describing the 928 to me earlier so yep. so it's it's the flagship uh one of my favorite beers in arizona for sure tell me about like what is in it? Cause there's some really interesting things in it. You said the wild yeast. Yeah. Uh, but it's more than that too. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the story on it is, is I really wanted to, um, model it after like a very traditional Saison or farmhouse ale okay. and kind of the, the history there on Saisons and farmhouse ales is that these were traditionally brewed, um, in the little like farmhouse breweries that, all these farms all over Belgium and France had. Okay. And so it was very traditional that if you had a brewery, you know, whenever this was, 100 years ago, 150 years ago, or if you had a farm, you know, you would bring in these seasonal workers to work the fields. Okay. And so they'd come in in the spring and plant the fields, and then they'd stay all through the summer and tend to them and then harvest in the fall, and then they'd basically take the winter off. So what, what these farmhouse breweries would do or these farms would do is they would take whatever ingredients they were growing whether it was wheat or barley or whatever and they would use that to brew a beer in the fall after the harvest was done and then they would take that beer and they would age it over the winter and then when the workers came back in the spring they actually would get an allotment of beer as part of their daily pay nice and so what was really interesting about those and i think is is really cool is those beers really were usually wild fermented because this was kind of before the days where they knew about yeast strains and single strain yeast and they were always put in barrels so they were wood aged and they would dry out really really dry because this wild yeast that they were using would just ferment through everything over the course of the winter um really nicely aged but they also um and i'm going to use a wine term they they have terroir and terroir is the flavor of the land okay and that um you know, when you hear about regional differences in wines, you know, this is from the Burgundy region, this is from, you know, whatever region, um, that's terroir because those grapes have a certain flavor because they were grown in a certain microclimate. Okay, yeah. Well, beer in this day and age doesn't really have terroir because we're not growing our barley and malting it and all that stuff. Sure. But I really wanted to create a beer that was kind of evocative of what we have in Flagstaff. And so the only real way to do that, because there's nobody growing fields of barley and hops and things like that here right. in Flagstaff, is to get a wild yeast. Yeah. So the way I did that is um, built a cider press uh, several years ago, probably 10 years ago now at this point. Um, 
actually sitting right there. That's the frame to it. I'm, Is I, that really? Nobody can see this on the podcast, but I'm like pointing I'll take a picture, 15 feet badass, away. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the, is, is the frame that we built, you know, probably 10 years ago. Um, and there's a big barrel that goes inside it. And we, uh, we press apples every year. And so we drove around one of the neighborhoods I lived in um, with my old beat up pickup truck and like loaded up the bed with apples and then ground them all up and pressed cider. And we, that first year we got, I don't know, probably 20, 30 gallons of cider. And I put some Camden tablets in one to sanitize it and fermented it with a beer yeast. But then I also just let five gallons of it ferment with whatever was on the apples because most fruit has yeast that grows on the skin of it. That's why you can just take grapes and press them and, and ferment it into wine without adding any yeast to it. Interesting. Apples are the same way. Okay. So we let it ferment, um, with whatever yeast was in there. And this is when I was like kind of starting to think about opening a brewery. So I was practicing like my microbiology. And so I actually took the yeast off of that and I separated it out, plated it into a couple different strains and then fermented about a half gallon, like a growler worth of beer with each of those three strains that I got off of it. Um, one of them ended up being the 928 strain. Wow. So it is truly a local strain of yeast. And then to kind of bring in another element of that local aspect to it, we add honey to it um, to help dry out the beer a little bit. So this, uh-huh. you know, it gives it this really nice floral aroma. You get some kind of reminiscent flavors of the honey that went into it. Um, it's got a little sweetness to it. Um, but honey is mostly sugar, so it just ferments all the way out, turns yeah. into alcohol, makes the beer fairly dry. Um, okay. But it means that this beer really is about as close as you're going to come to a Flagstaff local terroir um, yeah. in a beer. And we actually brewed it. You know, It was one of the first three beers that we had on when I first opened. Um, it was like a bit of serendipity, I guess. Um, I thought it was going to be this like one-off experiment. I, yeah. I loved it, but I was like, I don't know if people are going to be able to handle this. <laughs> right. This is really different than what you know, they're used to drinking, and people just went absolutely nuts over yeah. it. Um, and it's, it is a pain in the ass to brew. Is it, it really? Yeah. It takes over <laughs> twice as long as uh, our other beers to ferment. Um, the yeast is super finicky. Um, you have to kind of baby it along. Uh, um, <laughs> you know, you have to, you know, do things during the fermentation to kind of keep it active so that it'll keep fermenting and things like that. But it's, it's worth it. I mean, yeah. that's, that's why we've had to expand so much is because I, I think we're over 50% of our production right now is just that, that one beer, 928 wow. Local. So that's, there's not many places that can say they have a, a wild fermented yeah. 8% alcohol right. beer as their right. flagship, I think. Yeah, that's awesome though, man. Yeah. And that's like you said, like you, want, you, you wanted to do something that separated, separated you, right? Yeah. Um, and something that tastes so good it's very, it's it's a high alcohol content and for something that high alcohol content to be like a flagship and be so balanced man that's and yeah. there's so many things with it 928 right area code here in flagstaff right yep. so it's it it that even the name personifies that terroir um you know connotation i don't know if that's the right yeah. word but you know yeah. what i mean <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah absolutely yeah, yeah it's it's a local beer it's about as local as you're gonna get um you know, and, and I'm excited, you know, kind of on a related note, I'm excited that there's a few places in Arizona now that are actually starting to grow malt, and, and yeah. there's some malting facilities, um, Sanawa Malt, which we we haven't gotten to use any of their malts yet, um, but we're hoping to do that soon, but 
uh, Arizona Grain, actually one of the big grain companies um, down in Casa Grande, um, did some test plots of some malt, and we actually brewed a bunch of beer with that as well. Okay, um, nice. So I'm I'm excited to see that some of these these ingredients are getting more and more local. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know you can certainly work with the different farms and put you know citrus fruits in your beers and you know things like that that are local and sure. you know things like that. But but really, I mean fundamentally, you know if you put whatever fruit in your beer or something like that, you're using, you know, five pounds of that for every, you know, hundred pounds of malt that you're putting right, in there, that's or 200 true, yeah. pounds of malt. So <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's still from a percentage standpoint, I mean, getting a local malt is really, really exciting because it, yeah. it would allow us to really brew some more local kind of beers that really had local ingredients all the way through. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about that. And I think that's the way, a lot of this industry seems to be going is, you know, there's this huge local movement with, you know, all kinds of different foods and farm yeah. table and, you know, things like that. And, and I'd love to see the brewing industry get back there as well. Yeah, so. absolutely. When I, and I think, like you said, places like Sanagua Malt, um, there's the 24 hour hops in, in uh, Maricopa, mm-hmm. if you've seen them. Yep. I've seen uh, them. We haven't gotten to use any of their stuff either. Just so. the interesting just these things people are doing like dude let's we've got a lot of potential not just like in talent out here but just like in the environment as well oh yeah you know the resources I mean? that we yeah. have i mean yeah. it's you know it blows my mind you look at you, you don't think of phoenix you know you drive through there as being like this this huge growing area but then you realize that the weather allows you to have two growing seasons a year yeah i mean they'll they'll double plant these fields i mean yeah. they harvest something in whatever September they replant it in October because it can grow all winter and then you get a second harvest off of it and you know and obviously like things like water use issues and everything are huge I mean we do live in a desert but um one of the big reasons that Sanawa got into the business is because barley is a very low water usage crop compared to a lot of other ones yeah and so that's you know I, I think it's really interesting that and, and exciting that people are starting to think about those kinds of things and bringing yeah. that, you know, that discussion to the forefront of how can we, how can we bring something more local, reduce our need to ship things across the world just to get, you know, an ingredient or something like yeah. that. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm, it's, it's exciting and I'm, I'm really excited to see where it goes and yeah. I hope these local movements for ingredients really gain some traction. Yeah. Well, and, and I think it's cool that beer tends to be, and maybe it's just because I'm so embedded in beer. That I'm like, <laughs> beer seems to be doing everything, but you th- hear these things like, like Sanago malt. Um, I saw a label over here, the pure water was yeah. that from the pure water challenge. It was actually. Yeah. And that one's really exciting. So we, we did the pure water challenge, um, which was over a year ago at this point. And, uh, Everybody's kind of forgotten about it by this point, except for the fact that we took some of that beer and put it in barrels because that's oh, kind of what we do. Nice. Um, and so, <laughs> and so we brewed uh, um, Belgian style Trapel, um, you know, Golden Strong Ale, basically, and uh, we brewed 300 gallons of it, um, so three three batches, nine okay. barrels, basically, and uh, give or take. And we um, took two thirds of that and served it. Um, entered it in the competition, people loved it, and then we took the other third of it and we put it in two um, Chardonnay barrels, uh, and they aged uh. for a year in those Chardonnay barrels. 
And so just about the time that everybody had forgotten about it, like, you know, the city was having we, – we got a hold of the city person to, like, get the logo for it. And they were having trouble even digging it up because uh. they're like – it was, like, so far in the, <laughs> like in the back of their mind that yeah. we, we finally dug it up in one of our emails. Um, we pulled it out of barrels and um, bottled it up. And so it's available in 12-ounce bottles and four packs of 12-ounce bottles now um, nice. called the Pure Water Trapel. And it is phenomenal. It, is it here? Do you have it here? We have it here. I yep. got to grab some yep. before I go. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it, um, it dried out a little bit more over time sitting in the barrels, and it yeah. picked up um, a lot of those, like, wood tannins and the, the Chardonnay flavor, that kind yeah. of, you know, little bit of sweetness. Um from the barrel and it's just it's amazing it's such a delicious beer so nice and and where is it do you know where it's available like is it available in some bottle shops and around the state okay yeah absolutely we um you know i'd have to double check um since i know a lot of your your listeners are probably down in in phoenix i'll have to double check exactly where we've um delivered it down there okay but there are a few bottle shops um that take our bottles down in phoenix and they definitely have some and then up here in flagstaff if you're um poking around town we're in World Market, um, Whole Foods, McGaws, Pay and Take, like Beaver Street Liquors, Grand Canyon Spirits, probably a bunch of others that I'm forgetting now. But yeah. basically, any of the any of the the bottle shops worth their salt up here okay. will definitely have it. So. <laughs> nice, <laughs> yeah. nice. Well, I know I picked up a four pack of the was it the Desert? Not uh, what was it? The Desert Gold. Desert yes. Gold, dude. That was so good. So I got that. That one bottle. was brewed with the Arizona malt. So oh, that's, nice. that okay. one was brewed with the malt that was grown down in Casa Grande. Okay. Um, that test batch of that malt. Yeah. It's phenomenal. Dude, that oh, was good. That beer. Yeah. I picked that up at Bottle Shop 48. I was just yep. looking around my first. Yeah. I bet Bottle Shop 48 is one of the ones that has the Trapel. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, if they don't, when we're recording this, they might by the time it's out because we, we run our deliveries to Phoenix about once a month. Okay. And, uh, I think we're running next week, which is um, November fifteenth. So, okay, gotcha. Maybe in the past by the time. Yeah. So, so we'll we'll make sure that um, a few people have it, and and we usually try and get that up on our Facebook page and our website and stuff where we're delivering things like that yeah. down in Phoenix, so people know where to where to head to find them. So. Perfect. I mean, I think beer lovers know where to. They know how to yeah. track down some beers yeah. if they want to. Yeah. Yep. So so what what what's the what's the future hold for for Wonderlust at this point? That's a great question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, we've we've always had a philosophy of slow, steady growth, okay. um, and we're going to continue that. Um, I think we are – we're really making a push um, outside of Flagstaff okay. now. Yeah. Um, we, we've gotten to the point where we feel like we – I won't say we've saturated the Flagstaff market, but we, we have a, a very, very good saturation yeah. if we're yeah. not there yet. <laughs> we're, we're pretty close in Flagstaff. Um, it's, it's hard to find a – a place that doesn't have our beer on. Yeah. Um, so we're going to keep growing. Um, we, I think it served us well that we didn't, you know, have a couple successful years and then, you know, blow out the walls and build a brew house that's 10 times its size. Yeah. Um, because we want to really be able to take care of our accounts and of our customers. And yeah. so we, we try not to grow beyond our ability to produce. Cause okay. the, the other thing that I'm really adamant about is I don't, I want to take care of our accounts and never tell them that we, we don't have any beer for you because we ran out. That's true. Um, it's a tough place to be. Yeah. Um, we've, we've run on that hairy edge before. It's yeah. part of doing business. <laughs> but at the same time, like, I think we'll just keep doing what we're doing, um, really trying to 
explore a little more around kind of the styles that we really enjoy, um, which are these Belgian and German styles. Um, we have a lot of stuff in barrels. Um, we, we constantly are putting things in and taking things out of barrels. We have a pretty extensive sour program going now in barrels where we can blend things that are as old as four years old or five years old at this point to create, um, these really traditional, um, kind of lambic style, uh, sours um, that are really exciting. So, you know, look forward to that. Um, one of the other things that was a big push for us this past summer is we made the decision to start bottling some of our year round beers. Okay. So, um, we have, the white, which is our Belgian wit beer, um, that is in bottles year round. Our stout is actually coming out here soon in okay. bottles, and the that's Pan Am. available. Yep, the Pan okay. Am stout um, year round, and then we usually have you know anywhere between one and three seasonals. Okay, in bottles as well, and we we've always bottled intermittently to do our barrel age stuff, but we're really making a push to get into more of these kind of bigger accounts um, where we can provide bottles to them on a regular basis. So our, our bottles are all, we've switched to a, a 12 ounce long neck bottle, um, kind of your typical, you know, craft um, bottle. Gotcha. Um, and those are available in four packs as well. So that, gotcha. that's been a big push for us. And um, I think it's been very successful and we're, we're looking forward to gaining some more traction so that yeah. you're not just getting a, a growler or a pint of, of Wanderlust, but you can take it home with you a lot easier and, and find yeah. it a lot more places. So I like it, man. I, and I like that, that strategic growth too, right? Like, cause you, yeah. you don't want to just grow for the sake of growing and then quality drops and all mm-hmm. that. Um, and Michael from uh, mother road told me to ask your mustache a question as well. Yes. Mustache. <laughs> He's question. Like, you got, you got, it, you got it. No, not a, a mustache question. Yeah. That's the mustache. question. Oh, okay. Like, oh, yeah. yeah, no, but, but you've got the distinct mustache and that's yeah. been going on for a long time, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, much to, uh, my girlfriend's dismay. I, I feel like I can't, um, shave it off now cause it's kind of like the signature. No, I've had, I've had, uh, this handlebar mustache for probably close to 10 years now. Um, Although I I always tell people that I don't think it's that long because my my grandfather, who was kind of the inspiration for it, I just visited him a couple weeks ago. He's 95 years old. And he has had a handlebar mustache since 1973. Wow. Which means that his mustache is nine years older than I am. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. (laughs) So, and he's, and I'm sure, is it, is it as long oh, as yours? It's is not it as long as yeah, mine yeah. anymore. Yeah. yeah. He, he trims it back a little bit, but, uh, <laughs> but he still gets up every morning and waxes it. I, yeah. I, I don't know that I've ever seen him without waxing his mustache. Yeah. I'm sure it happens at some point, but it's like first thing he does when he gets out of bed. So yeah. Yeah. You're at the point of no return at this point. Oh, you can't, absolutely. you can't yeah, shave yeah. it off the back. Who's well, I've, I've got a, a three-year-old son now as well, and I don't think he would recognize me without yeah. it. So that's true. <laughs> hey dude, somebody's breaking into your yeah, bird. Yeah. yeah that's Exactly. me, man. I'm, I shave my mustache. Yeah. Well, Nathan, thanks, man. This this has been great. I, I'm glad we finally got to do this. Um, love Absolutely. your beers. Love what you're doing. Love what you stand for. So thank you. The good work, man. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for yeah. coming by and chatting. Yeah. Awesome, man. I'm gonna have to get, get one of those Belgian IPAs right now. So yeah. <laughs> All right, buddy. Thanks, man. Yeah. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. Like I said, check out Wonderless Brewing Company up there in Flagstaff. Look for them on tap. Look for them at your local bottle shop great people making great beers so wonderless brewing company in flagstaff check them out also got the patreon page up if you guys want to check that out it's at patreon forward slash but patreon.com forward slash tap that az podcast so 
go check it out. Just a way to get involved with with what we're doing here with Tap That AZ and provide some support and in return get some pretty cool shit out of it. <laughs> so um, check it out. Patreon.com forward slash Tap That AZ podcast. Always appreciate your guys' support. And always remember, stay awesome. Y cuando se va de casa, tristemente